Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. What was for breakfast? I missed it. What? Pancakes, sausage, that kind of stuff. I did the cup of coffee. I, I try not to eat breakfast, but yesterday morning I did the bits and gravy, and I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, well, good. I'm glad that you guys are here uh, well-rested. Yes, I heard some conversations went late in the cabins. That's good. Uh, anybody, like, just, you skipped out on the whole ARC thing. You were in bed by, like, 9.30. 8, 8, 8.30, so you missed the meeting. <laughs> okay, I don't want to hear it. I won't tell Sean. <laughs> you, you better be well-rested then. You're working on 12 hours here. Um, so uh, again, my name is Jason Andrews. Just a little bit quick about me. Uh, I've been here at Hume for about four and a half years. I came from Southern California in the Chino Hills, Chino, Ontario area. If anyone knows that area, we lived in Corona, Eastvale. Um, and uh, married my wife, Tiffany. Uh, we've been married, shoot, I better get this right, 27 years. Uh, I got married when I was 10. Uh, so <laughs> she was only nine. So no. Uh, and uh, we've got two sons, uh, Caleb, who's 22, and Brady, who's 20. Brady just had an interview with Chick-fil-A this morning. A uh, second interview, he's going to have like three or four interviews. I'm like, I had one for this job. And he's, he's got like three to work at Chick-fil-A. Uh, and so um, I was talking to him this morning and, and hoping that that went well so he can be making $17 an hour working at Chick-fil-A. What are you doing with your lives, men? I mean, like, it's crazy. So, but you need that to live in SoCal. So um, I first came up to Hume in 1989 as a, uh, what we call up here, a super senior which means that uh, you're, you're after high school, you've just graduated, but you can't quite let go of the Hume experience, and so you want to come up for one more year. I had never been to Hume, uh, and I, I wasn't really walking with the Lord in high school, and was just starting to kind of maybe be interested in, in Christianity stuff, even though I grew up in the church uh, and had gone on mission trips and all that kind of stuff. It was just kind of like doing it for my parents. Uh, but then I met a girl who... <laughs> And her name was Marianne. And Marianne went to Calvary Church Santa Ana. And Calvary Church Santa Ana came up to Hume Lake. And she said, you should come with me to Hume Lake. And I'm like, I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> so, I, so I came up. We had been dating for all of about two and a half months. And we were going to get married and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, totally in love. And um, came up on the bus. And about halfway on the bus, so we're driving up. And we're probably about in Bakersfield. And she says, can I sit next to, to Michelle instead of you for a little bit? I'm like, Sure, whatever. So I'm like, I don't know anyone except Marianne. So I go like three rows back. I'm sitting next to some dude and I'm watching them just the whole time. Starting to kind of like, well, what's going on here? But you know, anyway, it's all good. So we come, we go to dinner. And before the opener, if you know anything about Hume, the big start to camp is the opener. Before the opener, she goes, can we talk? And we sit out on this rock right outside the chapel, which is still there. It's never going to, this camp will be long gone and that rock will still be there. And she dumped me before the opener of Hume Lake. And I literally, like I'm in a cabin with, that was 12 beds. I'm the 13th guy. I'm sleeping on the floor, on a mattress, crying myself to sleep. It was just this, I'm like, I'm never coming back to Hume ever again. <laughs> and then uh, in 93, got a job working on the church in Irvine, started coming up to Hume, bringing kids. And, and every summer from 93 until 2017, brought students up here. Uh, stayed in every cabin up on this hillside and just fell in love with this place. And so when this opportunity opened up in 17, um, we had been at our church since 95, so we'd been there for almost 22 years. 
And um, God just opened the door to come up here, and we absolutely love it up here. And so, as I said on Friday, Thursday night, we are now empty nesters, which is really weird. The house is very quiet, but um, it's kind of cool. It's, <laughs> it's kind of cool. Amen? Uh, yeah. So, just a little bit about my wife and I and kind of what brings about this seminar that my, my wife and I um, actually got to team teach this a couple years ago at a marriage retreat. So... My wife, Tiffany, um, her mom died when she was a freshman in high school from breast cancer. Uh, it was just this crushing blow in her life, um, really kind of drove her away from the Lord, even though she had grown up in the church, her faith wasn't really solid at that point, and the death of her mom at such a young age really kind of drove her away for, for quite a while. Um, and so, but because of that, she had been doing kind of early testing since she was uh, younger than a lot of women need to be when they start getting tests for that kind of stuff. And um, in about nine years ago in uh, September, she went for a, a mammogram and they're like, ah, oh, there's maybe this little kind of spot or you, know, you should come back and maybe check something out. And so then in November, she went back. It's like, oh, we'll do this kind of separate time. Come back in December. We're not really quite sure. And then in January uh, of that following year, we went in for an appointment together and they said the C word. And it was just like, you got to be kidding me. I can't believe uh, that this is our reality. But they're like, don't worry. It's, uh, it's what we call in situ. Uh, it's stage zero. It's not a big deal. It's going to be fine. You can do this or this or this. And I'll tell you guys, from, from that moment on, every single medical experience that we had for the next six months was just bad news after bad news after bad news. I mean, it went from nothing to you should think about this to you have the cancer gene. And mind you, my, my wife at this point is the same exact age that her mom was when her mom was diagnosed with cancer. And her mom died within 16 months. And so we are just, we're going through this. Our, our, at this point, our kids are, are younger. They're like 10 and 12 or, or 8, 8 and 11. And um, like we, in the beginning, what was what, what could be a small little surgery then ended up being invasive cancer on both sides in the pathways. I mean, and, 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 four or five surgeries in this first six, seven months of this year. And, and like literally we would pray and we'd go back to our church and we'd pray and I'm leading youth ministry at the time. And it was really funny because I'm talking about the sovereignty of God, like this series with our high school students. And I'm having to then live this out in, in front of everyone. And we would say, Lord, we need, really need the test to be like this. And it would be the far opposite result. Or we need this. And it just felt like God never really showed up in that time in the way that we thought he would. But to rewind a little bit in that, to give you a little bit more background to our story, I came from a home where my parents loved us. They were, they were around. Uh, they took my brother and I to church. Um, but how, how would I... Uh, my, my parents, um, who knows, they may end up hearing this. Uh, so edit anything out about my parents. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Big thumbs up from Andre. Uh, I mean... There was some dysfunction in my home. My, my, my parents didn't communicate super well, and uh, what I learned from my dad uh, wasn't the most healthy stuff to learn to bring into marriage. My wife came from, like, the Waltons, you know, or, or like, the Cleavers, right? Jude and Ward, you know, and they Jude and Ward, and they would, like, just so the slippers at the door and let your dad read the newspaper and, like, just this total thing, and, and mine were, like, like this. Uh, and so... Coming into marriage, I was just kind of a jerk. I just didn't understand how to do the whole husband thing. And there were some pretty rough years in the first 10 years of our marriage. 
But the Lord began to work in us and work on us in a way that we didn't know but was preparing us to go through what we went through in my wife's cancer journey. And, and this season that we went through, which for me the most poignant moment was, it was on Good Friday, and uh, my wife's hair was falling out like in clumps now, and we realized it's time to shave it. And so we're upstairs in our, our bathroom, and I'm shaving my wife's head, and I'm just bawling, and she's bawling. It was like just this, wor- this horrible experience, and she's trying on wigs and all this kind of stuff. And I remember and in that moment, just thinking, God, why are we here? Why are we at this place? But he had been so tender to us in the previous years coming into this that, and had strengthened our marriage with some of the things I'm gonna talk about today. And then through this time of going through this as a couple, um, he, he really pointed us to a lot of scriptures and, and biblical principles that I believe are foundational for understanding how we are meant to live in the midst of difficult times. It really, in the sense, we're supposed to live like this all the time, but, but how, do we, how do we thrive? How do we succeed in difficult times? We are designed to thrive and to grow and rejoice and worship in the midst of difficult times. And, and that is how we are built for because the Bible says difficult times are a reality of life. Like we are to expect them. We are to find joy in them. Why would God command those things unless there was also a path forward through those things? And so we, we don't like difficult times. I, I get it. No one just calls out for them, like bring them on. But they are a reality. And so we need to kind of learn how to, how to work in the midst of that. And so... Um, just want to, I want to share five things with you and, uh, I've got a handout afterwards. That's more kind of like questions to consider. So it's not like a note taking outline. It breaks the points down and kind of has some questions for you guys to consider. I don't know if I have enough for everyone, but, uh, but, but I've got uh, some. So here's the first one. You are not the point. You are not the point of this whole grand scheme of, of life. And so, so let me break this down. As humans, we have lots of issues. And if we're honest with each other, we can be pretty, um, we can be pretty lame sometimes, right? We, we can. We don't take the commands of God seriously. Uh, we can be lazy. Sin can drive us from obedience. Um, we can we cannot take the call of God seriously in our lives. We can be lazy. I, I mean, all these things, sin, will cause us to erect false gods that we worship instead of the true God in our lives. And, and we could go on and on with this, but I think all of these things find their places in a similar point. It's that if we're not careful, we can fall in the trap of believing that we are the point, that the whole grand scheme revolves around us, that the greatest uh, desire of God is our comfort and our happiness how many times have you heard a sentence begin, well, I, don't, I just can't believe that God would want me to fill them. Those sentences never end well. They never end well when someone puts their opinion on what God should be doing because I just don't think that God would, you know, not want me to love this person or I just don't think that God would want me to not be happy in this and I just don't think that God would want, like those never end well because almost always it's us substituting ourselves for what God is trying to do, that his greatest desires are comfort and happiness and that, that he wouldn't want me to do these things. I am not the point. You're not the point. We are not the point. Our relationships are not the point. Our kids are not the point. Our spouses or loved ones are not the point. Our jobs are not the point. 
and, and I'm just not making this up. Let me, let me share some verses with you. Uh, James 4, 13 through 15. I love this. He says, come now, those of you who say uh, today or we'll do such things or tomorrow we'll do such things. Um, don't you know that your life is, is, but oh, sorry, not James. Sorry. Let me jump over to James. I was in the wrong section for a second. James 13, James 4, 13 through 15. I want to read this correctly. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Or Psalm 144, what is man, O Lord, that you should even think about him? He's like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Isaiah 40, uh, all flesh is like grass, right? The grass withers and the flesh fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I love how Paul talks about this in Acts 17. If you remember this, Paul is in Athens and he's addressing the, 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 the people at the Areopagus. And he says in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. I love this part. As though he needed anything, <laughs> since he himself gives all to mankind life and breath and everything. I love that part. And he, life and breath and, and then it's like, and everything. Like I just, I don't need to go on with the list. Just in, in everything. And loud and clear, the message rings forward that God is the point, that we are not the point. Um, an illustration that I think helps with this, I was sharing this with some high schoolers this summer. Uh, did anyone grow up and like your, you know, some people wanted to be fireman or doctor or, you know, did anyone want to be movie star? Just legit, come on. You wanted to be, yeah, movie star. Okay, so we had one, only one person wanted to be a movie star growing up. That's fine. Uh, and so, so, what's that? Professional wrestler. Okay, kind of also like an actor, uh, you know, I guess, in many ways, uh, totally. Um, and so, so pretend that that was your dream, your desire, you couldn't wait to do that, and so you go to whatever, you go to acting school, and then you finally, you, you, you get that, that, that first thing, right over, and so you tell all your friends, and you're like, you guys, I made it, oh my gosh, I landed the big role, I'm in the movie, and right, and so you get the early release copy of it, and you get all your friends over to your house, and you like splurge, and you buy this huge, you know, 85-inch 1010K TV or whatever, you've got all this stuff, and everyone's there, and, and you're, you're watching it all, and then you, 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 you pause it, and then you're like, what'd you think? And they're like, oh, oh, were, were you, and then you're stunned, and you're like, let me go back, let me go back. You rewind, you're like, play it again. Yes, what do you think? And they're just going like, we, bro, we didn't see you. Like what? And then you're like, that's my hand. I'm holding the coffee cup at the table. Like, it really, they had almost my whole body in it, but I guess they cut it a little bit. But that's my hand. Like, right? And what do you think? And I mean, you'd be really sad for this person, right? You'd be like, yeah, bro, you killed it. Mm. Like, mm, mm. 
right? I mean, how delusional or sad would a person who was uh, an arm extra, hand extra in a movie, or even if it was like much bigger, much bigger, like you walk by the main actor, you know, in the background, you're the guys walking back and forth in the background, like, right? A, a movie extra. How sad would it be for them to have thought that they had some huge major role or that they were the star of the film? And I gotta think there's times, I don't know what heaven is like in a lot of ways, but I just have to think there's times when there's maybe some chuckling when they're like, <laughs> oh my gosh, he thought he was the point. <laughs> oh, okay, stop laughing, stop laughing, let's help him. <laughs> but there's gotta be times when it's like, oh, oh, sad, poor, sad humans. You're not the point. God is doing something much bigger. And as my wife Tiffany and I began to study his word and listen to, to gospel-centered messages and kind of steep ourselves in, in better reading, we realized more and more that our lives were meant to be lived in a humble, awe-filled recognition of the one who is the point. And so as we began to go through these struggles, and, and many since then as well, and as you guys go through struggles in your life, I think the first thing, and it's so freeing, it's so freeing to, to take yourself out of the center and realize that things don't revolve around you and that you're not the center of everything that's happening in the world. It's freeing because then you begin to put that focus and that attention on the one who is the point. And he's the only one that can bear that weight. He is the only one. You cannot bear the weight of being the center of everything. You will crush yourself under expectations that you were never meant to live under. You will crush those around you. You're not meant to be the point. And so like, I think this is so key to understand as we move forward. I know it's not necessarily the most fun or uplifting one, but putting ourselves in our proper place as we move forward in difficult times is key. Secondly, knowing God. Knowing God is the key to loving him and being able to trust and find joy in the midst of difficult times. So knowing God is the key to being able to trust and love him. Like you cannot say that you trust and love someone that you don't know. You just can't. You, you, that can be a platitude. It can be just a phrase that you say, but it can't be the reality. You can't truly love and trust someone that you don't know. And so getting to know who God is, unlocking the ability to love and to trust him in deeper ways is seriously so important to finding joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. I, uh, like I said, I did church ministry for a long time and I knew many, many, many people who claimed to be Christians but really didn't know much about Christ at all. Uh, I was that way growing up. I went to church. My parents did a great job in, in getting us to church and Sunday school and was involved in youth group and, and just some, some really, really cool things that were happening in youth ministry in the late 70s and 80s. And I got to be a part of a lot of those. But I never really knew who God was. I never really knew who Christ was. And when difficult things in my high school time began to come about or when I, I started to experience temptations, there was no backbone to my faith at all. And I just blew over with every, I was like the child bouncing back and forth on the waves, right? That we're, we're, we're encouraged in Ephesians not to be like. And that was me blown about by every wind of whim in our culture or false teaching because I had no backbone to my faith because I didn't really know him. This last two summers, I've loved what we've done with our theme here up at Hume. 
as we focused on the character of God in both 2019 and 2021, we had these themes where uh, one was like a jungle theme and one was a, a desert theme, uh, but both found their way to look at the character of God as we've realized as a team more and more that with students, young adults, adults, older adults, I mean, like the whole gamut needs to know God in an ever-deepening and clear way because it's through knowing him that we begin to unlock the ability to love and trust him. And so we could talk about so many things, his omnipresence, his transcendence, that he is infinite, that he is truth, that he is love. But I want to look at just three characteristics real quick of God's character. Um, and again, no, no rocket science here. If you've been in the church at all, you've heard about these things. If you haven't, uh, let me just break down three characteristics of God. One, he is eternal. He's eternal. I remember growing up, I was at, a, a, at my elementary school, had this bathroom that you walked into, and as you came in, there was a row of sinks on the right side and a row of sinks on the left side. I imagine it being as big as this room, right? It wasn't. I'm sure it was tiny, but as a kid, right? You know, you're thinking back, it was massive. But I do remember there were sinks on each side, and each row of sinks had a mirror above them, and then in the back were like the urinals and the, to the toilet stalls. But the way that the mirrors worked was if you looked in the one mirror, it would bounce off each other back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But because of the imperfection of the mirror, uh, it eventually started to curve just a little bit. And it was like this tunnel that went down in for like eternity. That's what it felt like because it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then it would eventually curve and you couldn't see anymore. And that was the closest I could ever get to imagining eternity, right? Because I just blew my mind as a kid and as an adult, that the idea that we could be in heaven for like a billion years and it's like a second to God, right? It just blows my mind. Or that God has always existed. So we could get into age of the earth debate right now. We could go, how old's the earth? You know, we talking like 10,000, 20,000, 5 billion. Like, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because God existed for billions and billions and billions and billions of years before that happened. Right, and I just, and right, I don't understand. But here's the thing that God has always been and he always will be. And the character qualities of God have existed for all time and will exist for all time, which means that his nature is without beginning or end and his attributes have always existed and always will. Why is this important? So, so listen to Psalm 90. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A thousand years are like a watch in the night. So a watch in the night would be about a four-hour, six-hour shift in the night. So, so, so a thousand years are kind of like just four hours. That's not meant to be direct math, where you can then say, oh, I can figure this all out. <laughs> pull, out my, pull out my calculator. No, it's, it's just saying... T even time, it just doesn't even matter to you because before everything existed, you were. And since he is eternal, these things of God are also eternal. His promises, his plan for salvation, uh, his, his plans for what he is doing in our lives at the very moment of most difficulty. His plans are not just short term. They're not thrown together. They're not like yours and my plans. Right, where, where if you're a procrastinator, you know what that's like, right? And those plans, by the grace of God, sometimes work out. But maybe you're a hardcore planner and you don't even, you know, you don't do anything without weeks of preparation. 
Kudos to you. God's got you blown away. His plans are eternal, and what he's doing right now are based on eternity, not present circumstances. And so we have to remember this as we go through difficult times that God is doing something much, 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 much bigger than we can possibly see or imagine. And I know that that alone doesn't help, right? Because, again, let me be real. Um, I remember when the, when the earthquakes hit Haiti. Do you guys remember that? An incredible loss of life. And if our answer was to simply go to those people who've lost loved ones and say, well, God's got something bigger in store, Mm. I mean, that's just, that's damaging because you can't throw out just things alone like this about the character of God without a much bigger context to the other attributes about his love and his care and his concern, his eternality, right? But for believers, in the back of our minds, we need to remember that God is doing something much bigger than we can ever see in his eternality. And as he deals with us, He is also, not only eternally, he is omnipotent, which means whatever plans he has, he has the power to carry out. Because you can be, you have all these great ideas, but if you can't actually pull them off, then what deal is that? I mean, but he is omnipotent. He has the power to pull across, to to pull out any plans that he is doing to, to see those two accomplishment. And finally, he is sovereign. He, pers- he possesses supreme and ultimate power. If he wants it to happen, it happens. And so I think the difference between being omnipotent and sovereignty is kind of like this. I was just thinking of this this morning. So let's say I raised a bunch of little chicks, little chickens, like right, right? and they're, they're cute, they're precious, they're tiny, and let's, I had them in a box, and I'm this towering huge figure over them that for all intents and purposes, I am omnipotent in their lives right? I can, I can cuddle with them. I could also be just some horrible monster and I could crush them. I could step on them. I could throw them out of the car window, like whatever. I could do all those things. But the reality is I may be omnipotent in their eyes, but if I started doing stuff like that, I think people would think differently about me. I think there'd be some societal norms that I'd be going against. I think I'd find myself as an expose on like 90 minutes or 60 minutes. And, and like there'd be some things that, that even though I may have the power to do them in this present moment, There'd be some reasons why I really wouldn't be able to do those things because like the world we live in, God's sovereignty is different than that. His omnipotence gives him the power to do anything he wants, but he is also sovereign, which means he has the right and the authority to do anything he wants. I love Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. Like, does anyone in this room do as they please? I mean, you might think you do. There might be like, oh, my wife's gone for the weekend. Like, I'm not even putting clothes on. I'm just watching football. Like, right, you know, like if I, if I eat anything that has an ounce of protein in it besides meat, uh, you know, or that's good for me, I'm doing whatever I want, a king of my kingdom. Yeah, mm-hmm. For like maybe this long. <laughs> and then reality sets in or, you know, right, right. But God is Sovereign, he does as he pleases. I love the story in Jeremiah 18. The Lord instructs the prophet Jeremiah to go down to the house of the potter. Some of you are familiar with the story. If not, let me just tell you, Jeremiah is struggling a little bit because the Lord is telling him to go and to preach um, judgment and damnation on the people. And it's harsh. And so I think he's having a, a little bit of a struggle kind of getting on board with this. And God says, you know, tell you what, go, to, go down to the house of the potter. I want to show you something. So Jeremiah goes down to the house of the potter. Um, and he watches this potter 
get some clay, throw it on the, the spinning wheel, and starts spinning it. And it's like, boom, boom. He's like molding it and shaping it and stuff and starts to form it into this, this bowl or vessel of some sort. And then kind of goes like, eh, don't really like how that's looking. And the potter just crushes the clay back down and makes the ball again, throws it on the wheel, and shapes it into something else. And Jeremiah's like, Jeremiah's like cool, thanks God for that. What, what are you talking? And the Lord says, see, I can, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, I can take the clay and make whatever the heck I want. And if I want to make it into this, and then I want to change it, I can do it. And if I want to tell a nation to, that, that you're aimed for destruction, and then the nation repents and I decide to save them, I can do that. If I tell a nation that they're, they're set for blessing, and then they turn for me, I can bring judgment. I can raise up, I can tear down, I can build, I can plant. I am the potter, right? And, and Paul talks about this later in the book of Acts as well. I'm sorry, in Romans, that, that he is the potter and we are the clay. And would the clay ever rise up against the potter and say, don't make me like that or make me into something else? I mean, how, you guys played with Play-Doh when you were a kid, right? Probably ate Play-Doh when you were a kid. And, and did the Play-Doh ever talk back to you? Did it ever say like, don't put me through that thing and squeeze my hair out? You know, like, or whatever, don't make, that would be weird scary, terrifying, we'd all be scarred. And, and, and because really, we could laugh about it, but when you're playing with Play-Doh, you're the boss. Like, you're the, you're the boss. You can mix colors if you want. You can, like, some of you are, like, freaking out. Whoa, you can't mix colors, bro. But, like, <laughs> some of your PTSD from when you were seven is coming back. Like, yeah, uh, but we, could, we can do whatever we want. And God is saying, like, I don't, I don't mean to demean you. I don't want you to, I'm not making you feel bad. I'm just setting it like it is. You're the clay. I'm the potter. I'm the sovereign one. And this can be terrifying if you don't know the potter. So, so, so I remember coming home um, from church, and, uh, and, and you who are involved in ministry, you know that, that, that Sundays at church aren't necessarily the same thing for people who work there as they are for, for other people that, that come. And so the church Sundays, they start early. I mean, you're, you're, you're there at 6.30 or so, 7 o'clock, depending on what your, your role is. And, and you're, if you just do even just two services, you're not rolling home till 12.30 or 1, or, you know, depending on the day. And sometimes those days can be long. And I remember coming home from, from work, and it was about 1 o'clock, and I had had a meeting after church, and I had missed lunch, and I came home, and I opened up the park in the garage, and I opened up the door, and I walk in, and our golden retriever, Abby, had demolished the trash can. And every single thing in the overfull trash can was just on display in the entire downstairs of our house. I mean, it was disgusting. It was everywhere. And, and the little, uh, there was like coffee pods that she had chewed into, and there was coffee grounds all over. There was food. It was just this disgusting thing. And my wife, Tiffany's home, right? And so I walk in, and I see this, and my first thought was, I cannot believe that she has the audacity to be sitting upstairs, probably like watching TV, and left this mess for me. I just couldn't believe it. I was just breathing, just seething with anger, right? And I say, Tiffany! And the Lord... <laughs> intervened in that moment before the next word left my mouth and said, is that the character of your wife? 
Is that what you know to be true about your wife? That she would see this and say, sucka, and just <laughs> and walk upstairs and be like, that's gonna suck for him. <laughs> I'm going to watch TV. <laughs> And it's just, it, was, it was in an instant, just a millisecond. Is that the character of your wife? Shut your mouth. And then I'm like, you won't believe what Abby did. Like, right? Because it was going to be like, I can't believe you. And then it was just that small little thing. Is that the character of your wife? And I got to tell you, first year of marriage, I would have said, I don't know. Maybe it is. <laughs> Maybe she is like that. Maybe I made a mistake. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> she is this kind of person. But after, I think at that point, we've been married about 23 years, 20, 21 years. And I'm like, that's not the character of my wife. That only comes through getting to know someone, right? When you know that that person's not going to wrong you in that way because you know who they are. The same is, tr is true with God, that we... As Psalm 100, Psalm 107, Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever, right? Or John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life to the fullest, life in abundance. That's the God that we serve. And let me read one more thing. Psalm 145, uh, one through nine. You don't need to turn there. Just, just listen to this. A song of praise of David. I'm going to read this kind of slow. I want you to hear this. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Oh, the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Men, we need to press into the Lord to grow in our love and our understanding of who he is. And when we do that, and I believe only when we do that, will we unlock greater depths of being able to trust him and love him and believe in him and rest in him, or as John says in John 15, to abide, or Jesus says in John 15, to abide in him. That does not come day one. I wish it did. It's a growing thing that we must own and lean into to get to know him more because when the difficult times come, if you have just some sort of auxiliary understanding of who God is and things get really hard, then someone saying that God is love, that God has a wonderful plan for your life, that God is, is good, right? Those are just empty unless you know who he is. And then you can say, yes, he is. And I know that in the midst of this, it's, I, it's hard. I get it. It's hard. And we'll talk about that in a second. 
but we know who he is and we can trust him. So we're not the point. We need to get to know who he is. Third, remembering that true joy is found in Christ and not in our circumstances or blessings. True joy is found in Christ, not in our circumstances or blessings. I love this truth because it means that the greatest source of my joy can never be taken away. If my wife or my kids or my job or whatever circumstances or blessings that I see in my life are my, are my greatest source of joy, then my greatest source of joy can be taken from me. But if my greatest source of joy is in the truth of who the Lord is and what he has done for me that cannot be taken away, then that changes how I view difficult times. We may have incredibly difficult seasons, but ultimate joy can't be stolen. It can't be removed. Psalm 1611 tells us that in his presence, there is fullness of joy, fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Listen to 1 Peter 1 through 7. If you're a believer in here, then this is what you've been given in Christ. I mean, this is what you have in Christ Jesus. And if you're not, then I want to just invite you to, to hear, maybe for the first time, what you can have in Christ and what you, you can be given in Christ. First Peter 1, 1 through 7. First Peter 1, and then we'll read 1 through 7. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersia in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Listen to what he says. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Let me stop there for a second. What do we rejoice in? Was there, it, for now you're going through great times. Things are easy for you and you're, you like your job, and, and your family is getting along. In this, you rejoice. No, we rejoice in the imperishable. We rejoice in what God has done. We rejoice in the fact that Christ, through his death and resurrection, is holding a place for us in heaven. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little time, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, so our, the, source, the source of our rejoicing is not in our circumstances or in the blessings. This is what we've been given by Christ right here in this passage. And this is our prize. This is, this is beautiful. It's our prize. The beauty of the gospel is that he gets our sin and our unrighteousness. And in this greatest, most unfair exchange, he gives us his righteousness. He gets God's sin and wrath and we get his righteousness. And the gospel isn't that we get God, then he makes life easy. 
And that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we get God and he's enough. He's enough for the rest of our lives and existence on this earth. The gift that we have from God is that we get him, we get a relationship with him and it's enough. And whatever circumstance may come as a result of knowing him or not knowing him or, or running from him or running towards him, anything in our lives from that point on matters far less. And in some ways doesn't matter at all because what matters the most is that we've gotten God and we are forgetful people. So we need to preach this to ourselves over and over again. We have hope, not because something better is coming around the corner. That's not why we hope in the midst of difficult circumstances that, that something better will come. Like we, in the midst of this trial that we were going through with cancer and tests and surgeries, I, I mean, I will say I fell prey to this many times. Like, oh, I just, I just know things will get better. I just know that, you know, this will start to change and this and this and this. And, and that's a normal human response. But at the core, we have to constantly preach to ourselves that our hope is not based on future blessings or future good times, but our hope is based on him. His name is Jesus and he is better. Amen. He's better than anything that we could possibly be going through. I remember years ago, my wife and I led a study in our college group uh, a book by Larry Crabb, and I wish I remembered which one it was, but he was going through a hard time and he said to the Lord, I know you're all I have, but I don't know you well enough for you to be all I need. So he said, I know that you're all I have. I, I get that, but I don't know if I know you well enough to have you be all I need. And I remember we talked about this in this difficult time of trying to figure out, would we really have God and have him be enough for us to sustain us in the midst of this difficult time. And the Lord taught us to find joy in him and taught us to delight in him. And honestly, um, with, with the way my wife's body is set up, we, we don't actually even feel like this cancer journey is, is over. Her numbers for future uh, issues are just off the charts. And so each day that we have a negative diagnosis, we kind of feel like, awesome, it's another, another day. But we don't feel like this journey's over. But man, we are so ready if it ever does come back. And I'm not saying that to brag because I will be crushed, you guys. I will be crushed and I'll be angry and I'll probably struggle with bitterness and I will not live everything that I'm telling you right now. In the moment, in the flesh, I will die. But, but, I truly believe that we are in a place and have gotten to a place from the beauty of the gospel and of his word to, to, to be able to roll forward with that, whatever may come, knowing that our lives are in God's hands. And so where are you finding your ultimate joy? Is your ultimate joy in circumstances or in the blessings that God has given you or in the hope of something good coming around the corner. True joy is not, cannot be found in our circumstances or blessings. It's got to be found in Christ. Okay, two more things, then we'll close. Um, every circumstance in life can be an opportunity to worship. Every circumstance in life can be an opportunity to worship. I mean, I know part of it's like, really? Like, there's no chance. 
Uh, even something as simple as, have you ever been working on some sort of construction project and just wrecked yourself? Like hammer on the thumb, screw into the, into the hand, stepped on a board sideways, had a nail go through your shoe. Like any sort of, even just the simplest, smallest thing. I, I fell, okay, I, I, know, I know COVID is, 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 is a thing, right? And it's, it's bad. The ice up here in the winter is far more terrifying to me than COVID ever, because that stuff's, the, the ice is real. I mean, like, I fell down the stairs of the ranch house, these three or four steps over here uh, in the middle of winter, and I did the thing where the foot went out, I'm holding the coffee cup in one hand, and the book's over here, hand, this goes up, and I land on the small of my back on the edge of the tread, and then bounced back up in the air, and then hit the next two steps. I hit the ground so hard, I didn't know if I was going to throw up or pass out or both. I mean, I was wrecked. I still, it's been 10 months. I still have a ball, a knot on my lower back. I'm, I'm telling you, I did not worship. <laughs> In that moment, there was no worshiping, okay? There, none, not in my system, not possible at all, right? And so, so I'm saying every circumstance is an opportunity to worship, right? So I get it. I get our skepticism. I get that in the moment there's going to be like not a chance in the world. I mean, just this week, just, you know, like I got my sons, they're out and we're, we're trying to figure out how to help them with their finances. They're driving us crazy, and how they're spending their money and trying to figure out how to help them be men and be responsible with their money, right? And I hang up the phone and I worshiped. Mm. No, I didn't. No, I did not, right? When camp got canceled for the last two weeks or three weeks of summer uh, because of COVID, did not worship, like, right? So I'm, I'm telling you these things to preach to myself and to you that in our brokenness, our first response is not gonna be this, okay? So let's just get that out the room. I understand, I understand. The top of our list when difficulty comes is not worship. When my wife and I left that doctor's appointment, we went to a subway in Brea because we were both starving because the appointment had taken so long and we're in the corner booth trying to eat a sandwich through tears, right? We were not worshiping. When I found out earlier this year that my dad not only had prostate cancer but also early onset Alzheimer's and then my mom had a stroke all within the same year, my first response, not worship. When my wife lost her second mom, to cancer a couple years ago after losing her first mom. Like, right, first response, not worship. I get it, okay? So we, 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 can, we can all, I'm not preaching some sort of crazy thing that I, I just, I don't get. But every circumstance can be an opportunity for worship. Job, if you don't know who Job is, Job is a character in the Old Testament that the Lord allowed to be put through the ringer. I mean, like Job, uh, the devil actually comes to the Lord and says, look at your servant Job. Isn't he awesome? And God's like, yep, he is. And the devil's like, I bet he wouldn't be. I bet he wouldn't be if you took away all the great stuff in his life. And the Lord says, bring it. And devil's like, seriously? And God's like, go for it. I mean, this is a paraphrase, right? This is like the message version. Uh, <laughs> this is Sorry, Eugene Peterson, but like this, it's not too far away from the truth. So, right? And so God's like, go for it. 
And so listen, listen what happens. I'll, I'll read this quickly. So there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job, and it says, the oxen were plowing and the, doxen, the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. It's like, whoa. So all my, my livestock are gone and my servants were killed. Okay, crazy, that's bad. While he was still speaking, Another said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and all the other servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay, getting worse. While he was still speaking, another said, the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he's still speaking, another came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they're all dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Boom, 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 right? Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And worshipped. Now, I don't know what that was like. I don't know what kind of worship that was. I have to guess that it was a mixture of gut-wrenching anguish and worship. Kind of like the Psalms, right? In the Psalms, David seems almost bipolar sometimes. He's just going back and forth between railing against God and then like, you are so good. And so I can see this being a mixture of that. But Job, in the midst of all this grief, now Job wasn't a perfect man. Right? If we read the next 30 so chapters, we see Job had some issues, but Job in this moment recognized that my most proper response is this mixture of grief and worship. In fact, we need to see that grief and worship go together. That when we are hit, that was in Job 1, if we, if we are struck with grief and we are in the midst of that grief, that worship is the friend of grief, worship is the partner of grief. It comes alongside and helps soothe that wound. That grief and our sorrow should point us to a brokenness that can only be remedied by Christ, right? And so then we worship him because we know that he is good and that he can fix and he can help and he can build and he can plant and all those things. And so we, we worship in the midst of that. But more than me just telling you those things, the Lord is gracious. He shows us this over and over again. James 1, consider it all joy, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. So, wait. When difficult times come, James says, consider it all joy. Wow. When difficult times come, consider it as joy. Well, well again, how, how do we consider it as joy? Because we know what God is doing. We know God is building something in us and he's building endurance and we want an endurance to have that full effect that we may be complete and lacking in nothing. That's what he is doing in Romans 8, 38 and 39. I love this. Paul says, and I, I, I know many of you guys know this verse. Maybe you even know the song. But he says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life. Now listen to this list. Listen to the list. That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. And then he just says, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And so, so how do we have worship in the midst of grief? 
How do we find a way to worship in the midst of every difficult circumstance? Because we know who's in charge. We know what he is doing. We know, and again, we, that doesn't mean that we've completely owned all this and that we're perfect and we never doubt or, or lack trust. But we go back to that place of, okay, I know my wife is not like this. <laughs> she's not going to do this terrible thing to me and make me clean up all this stuff. I know that God is for me. I know that he is good. I know that he is doing something that I maybe can't see right now. And so I worship him in the midst of these difficult times. And I show that my focus is not on myself and my circumstances because I'm not the point, right? They're starting to come together now. I'm not the point. I know who he is. I know where my joy is found. And so I worship in the midst of this time because I know that God is doing something that I can't see right now. And, and, and guys, please understand, I am not trying to sell you some sort of crazy line that says, don't worry, you will always at some point understand what God has done and you'll see his reasons and then you'll understand and then you'll go like, yes, God, I see what you're doing. That's not reality. There is going to be times when evil will come your way and you will not get to see what God is doing. I just, I just wish it could be different. But there's going to be times when things will happen. Uh, family members will, will, will pass away or get sick. Jobs will be lost. Kids will get injured. Like whatever the things are. And then you're not going to be go, oh yeah, okay, I see. Thanks God, I see what you were doing. Because you know what happens then? Is we start to look for the, the next great thing. So like I lost my job. God must be doing, God's going to give me an even better job, right? Oh, God is going to, God's doing something. He's going to raise up this even better job. Well, then again, your hope is in future blessings, not in Christ. Or like a senseless killing. Maybe there's just some sort of crazy, senseless murder. And you're like, okay, God, okay, you need to show me what you are. He doesn't need to show you anything. We want that. And sometimes he shows us, but please don't base your trust in him on some sort of future hope that you will understand everything. It's not going to come. And we have to trust God in the mystery. We have to trust him in the midst of difficult times, not because we know that one day all will become clear to us, this side of heaven, right? I don't even know if in heaven we're gonna understand all that. We are not God. We have no shot of understanding things and seeing things like he does. So we consider it joy when we go through difficult times, knowing that he is doing something, even if we're not always going to be privy to what that is. So every circumstance is an opportunity to worship. And so whether you are walking uh, in, a, in a beautiful area or you wake up in the morning and you go and you see this incredible sunrise over the mountains and, and the lake, and it's just gorgeous. And you're like, God, this is awesome. This is so good. Or if you're driving through some inner city filled with smog and filth, you can still say God is good, right? We look for God in every aspect of our life and we find ways to worship him despite the circumstances. And then finally, this one's quick. The time for preparing for difficulty is not in the midst of difficulty. So, so if you want to get ready for hard, difficult times, please do not wait until you're in the midst of those. That's going to be very, very rough. And so it's like learning how to put on snow chains in the midst of a snowstorm. Like you, you see them, right? And up here, uh, we see it a lot. We see it a lot. We see, as we drive down the hill, we'll see these people who said, let's go to the mountains. And then they, so they swing by Pet Boys and they pick up a box of chains and they're like, just in case, right? 
they're the ones on the side of the road and they're going like, and they're holding this up, right? And you just kind of like, have a good day. <laughs> like, sorry. Like, probably should stop and help. Okay. Um, but like, that's not the time. And so I remember I was going away for a weekend and we were supposed to get a lot of snow. And so I said to my wife, hey, just in case you need to put on chains, like, let's go. So, so we went out perfectly dry driveway, right? And I showed her how to put the chains on and then she did it and then we did it again and she did it again. It's like, okay, great. Because putting on chains in a dry parking lot, piece of cake, right? And if you can't do it there, you ain't doing it in the snow. Like it's not, it's not happening. So simple, dumb illustration. But the time to prepare for difficulty is not when crisis hits. Doesn't mean that you can't grow during those times. But guys, if you're in a time right now of relative calm, now is the time to press in the Lord to get to know his character, to find joy, to practice this attitude of, of gratitude in the smallest things and finding ways to worship him in small little difficulties so that when the big difficulties come, it becomes a habit for you. As we press in the Lord and we read his word and we seek him in prayer, many times the things that we learn or passages that we read or verses that we memorize don't actually even come into play that same time. That same day. Have you ever read a passage and thought, okay, that's right. okay, cool. And like four days later, you're like, what was that I read three days ago? You're like, oh my gosh, I totally need that, right? Sometimes it's exactly what you need in the moment. But other times, it's God saying, I'm going to plant some seeds that I may not pop up to the surface until a couple weeks, a couple months down the road. I memorized a lot of verses as a kid because I was an achiever. So I wanted to win like sword drills and Bible memory contests and stuff. I didn't really know God, but I wanted to win and get candy. Uh, and so I memorized a lot of verses. And as I'm older now, these verses that I memorized in King James, because King James was, was it, man, back then, they come back to me. I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, right? And be not transformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. She may prove what is, like all these verses, they come back. And as a kid, I, I memorized them to earn candy. And now, like the sweetness of God's word floods over me with passages or verses that I've read in the past. In difficult times, they come back. God is shaping us for the future. And so every difficulty in life is in the hands of the potter. Our God who is good and loving and sovereign over all. And the great revelation and, uh, and doesn't come in understanding that life will deliver thousands of difficult circumstances, right? The great revelation comes, the aha moment comes when we witness God in the midst of those things. When we find ourselves with the ability to witness what God is doing in the midst of difficult times that he loves you. Look no further than the cross. Right? If you have to look further than the cross to find the love of God for you, my friends, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking, if you have to look to your circumstances or what he's giving you or is doing for you in the moment, you're looking in the wrong place. Look no further than the cross to see his love for you. He is for the advancement of the gospel. He's for your joy. He's about the glory of his name. And all the things he allows in life, every single difficulty in life, whether the result of your, some of the, your difficulties are on you, right? You brought them on yourself. You made poor choices. We sin, we mess up. That's like, that's wired into us. So don't come 
crying about stuff like you made poor decisions and then you're going through difficult times. But even in those, God is doing something. So whether caused by our human sin, caused by the brokenness of our world, the fact that all of creation is longing for the time that Christ will return so things can be made right. So we've got nutty things like firefighters are working on the fire here at KMP Complex and a tree falls and almost crushes four of them. A rock comes loose and rolls over one of the firefighters. Like our world is broken. Bad things happen. In the midst of those things, all all of them are opportunities to see God work. And, and then the, the, we'll close with this. The, the potter, I think it's one thing just to remember. The potter, the Lord, is not reckless or finicky or kind of flies by the seat of his pants and makes last minute decisions, gets thrown, gets, gets caught off guard. Like, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do now? Like he did this and back to the drawing board, right? He is, he is always shaping and orchestrating everything for our joy and for his glory. Everything for our joy and for his glory. And I know, I know it is so difficult to see that. And my simple story I shared today about my wife's cancer, I, could, I bet there's three dozen guys in here that could come up on this stage and top it and say, wait till you hear this. I mean, like Dom last night, our worship leader sharing last night that he lost three family members in a, in a, month, a month and a half span, his sister, his aunt, and his grandmother. I remember sharing a little bit about my story with a pastor, and he came up and talked to me afterwards, and he said, I'm not meaning to like, like make you feel like your story isn't that significant, but I lost my wife and two daughters in a car accident last year. I mean, I just like, and he said, I, I just, I needed to hear this. Like, I know this stuff. I know this. I'm a pastor. I know this stuff. But I needed to hear it again. And so, like, my wife's, she's doing great. Her hair's beautiful. It's grown back. We've got healthy boys. She's, she's, she's doing well, right? And so I'm, I, I praise the Lord in that. And so my point in being up here isn't to say, look at how hard my life is. It's to say, you guys, in the midst of difficulty, there are truths in God's word that can drive us to him, not away from him. That can drive us to a place of deeper um, love and trust in him, no matter your circumstance. No matter your circumstance. When we take ourselves out of the focus, we get to know who he is and understand that our joy is not found in our circumstances or the blessings we may have, but in him and that we can worship in the midst of any of these opportunities, uh, any of these circumstances, there are opportunities for worship. Let me close this in a word of prayer. And then if you want, uh, up here on the piano, I've got some sheets. I wish there was enough for everyone. There's not. It's just some kind of questions because I know sometimes you, you come out of a seminar like this and, and you're like, that's great. I don't know what to do with it all. And I don't really, uh, so maybe these questions will help drive you to a greater place of reflection. Maybe there'll be a good lunch conversation. Uh, maybe they'll just find the way you're, they'll get folded up and put in your Bible and you'll forget about them for a year and then you'll find them. And then you'll start to process through some of these things. But um, if you want more of these, just, uh, you know what I'll do is I'll make some more copies of these for tonight and, I'll, and you guys can grab them if you don't get one tonight. But again, just some questions to help you process through this. God, um, man, even as I stand here and, and talk about these things, I do feel a great sense of conviction in how I often handle difficult times. 
and how my first response is often pretty broken. And I am grateful that, Lord, in the, in the time that I've known you, you have helped me oftentimes move from that first response to a better place. But Lord, I want you to even begin to change my first response. That God, for the men in this room, for myself, that when we encounter difficulty and circumstances and tragedies in life, that we wouldn't even give the devil a foothold, that we wouldn't give an inch, and that our first response would be to beat the flesh down and to embrace what your spirit is doing. But God, we, we cannot just miraculously get to that place. It will take time and effort and it will take diligence to pursue you and to press into you and to worship you and to read your word and to memorize scripture. Lord, to keep your word close to our hearts so that our first response that bubbles up is spirit-led, not flesh-led. And so God, as these men, um, I, I don't even know what they'll begin to encounter as they go home tomorrow because the difficulties that they maybe have escaped from from a couple days haven't gone anywhere and they still have the same bosses and the same maybe dysfunction in their families and the same medical issues or whatever the things might be. But God, I pray that there was a small perspective change this morning and that Lord, through your word and through our desire to, to know you more, you would change our response in the midst of difficulty and that as Job did, and I, don't, I wasn't there, I don't know what it looked like. I cannot imagine it was just simply all beautiful, I love you, Lord, worship songs. There had to be grief and sorrow and anger and frustration and questioning and doubting, but in the midst of all of those things, his focus was not on his circumstances, but on you. So Lord, would we worship you in the midst of difficult times? Would we thrive, not just survive and get by, but would we truly thrive and grow in the midst of hard times, Lord, because of your name and because of what you've done for us on the cross. Lord Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.